In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. In the scripture, in this gospel reading in Luke chapter 7, we read this verse, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and, and you did not weep. What is he saying? What is Christ saying by these words? Um, so Christ here was rebuking um, the Pharisees um, and he was speaking to them saying that their response um, and, and, and really the whole generation, not just the Pharisees, that the response of the people is contrary to what it should be. So when something happens that should make them joyful, right? When we played the flute for you, like when something joyful happens, the people did not respond in a joyful way when it says, and you did not dance. And when something sorrowful happens, when it's, he says, we mourn to you, the people did not respond appropriately. They did not weep as a result, right? So Christ is saying that in this generation, everything is reversed. Everything is like backwards, right? We should be rejoicing at the things of God and we should be mourning at the things that are against God, right? But the Pharisees did not do this. The Pharisees were always in reverse. Anything that Christ did when Christ came and he's offering this message of salvation to all people, which is something that should bring rejoicing, right? The Pharisees were attacking it. The Pharisees wanted to um, kill him. The Pharisees you know, we're not happy at what he was preaching. Okay. And when the, you know, when, when the crucifixion happened, instead of it being something that's mournful, the Pharisees were rejoicing in this. They wanted calamity upon him. They wanted him to be killed. And in this day rejoiced. Okay. So in every way, their conscience was seared. Their conscience was corrupted um, by their own pride, by their own self-righteousness. And they could no longer respond appropriately to everything that was happening, okay? And certainly, you know, it's as though Christ is speaking these words to us in our modern times today, because everything is reversed, right? Everything is reversed. In our modern era, we see this problem, okay? We see that everything that should be good, everything that should be something that we rejoice in, right? The things of God are actually the things that bring hatred are actually the things that people attack and people accuse, right? And those things that, you know, are atrocious and horrible, oftentimes those are the things that are celebrated, okay? In, in Isaiah 29, 16, um, uh, Isaiah is speaking and he says, surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? It's as though this pottery that the potter is making, after the pot has been made, after this pottery has been made, it looks up and says to its maker, you did not make me, I made myself, right? And it's as though that the pottery is like accusing the, its creator, accusing its maker, saying what he has no understanding, right? This is what the Pharisees did to Christ. This is what our modern generation is doing with God. Um, everything that is holy is being defamed, is being blasphemed, is being criticized, is being mocked, right? But everything that is vile and wicked in the world is being celebrated, right? The children of light are being attacked for being filled with light and, and, and desiring holiness. Even the concept and the idea of holiness is being attacked. The people accuse, you know, those who are seeking holiness as being... Um, 
you know, as, as, as being judgmental, as being, uh, you, you know, like having wrong, uh, wrong morality, wrong ideals, right? Whereas those people who want unlimited freedom, want to do whatever it is that they want to do in the world and whatever wicked things that they want to do, those are seen as being enlightened, as being the ones who know how to live and how to enjoy life, right? So the children of darkness actually are exalted and they continue to establish the kingdom of Satan in the world, okay? So here Christ is saying what? We need to respond in the right way. We need to respond in the right way. When we see the world around us, we should not be swept up in the world and the ideals of the world, but we need to be responding in the right way to everything that is happening around us. So the question is, is how should we respond correctly, right, as the Lord wants us to? So we're going to speak about a few points of ways that we should be responding, right, to different things that's happening around us in the world. The first one is repentance, okay? So we live in an era where the word sin is not used, where the idea of transgressing the command of God is, you know, non-existent. Nobody is thinking about this. Nobody cares about this. Nobody is interested in the idea of whether we are transgressing God's command or not, because so many people nowadays either don't believe in God or even those who believe in God are more interested in following our own moral system as opposed to the moral system that God has set, okay? Sin is transgression against God's command, okay? So the world is not interested in God's command. So instead of mourning sin, instead of being sorrowful at the sin that is in the world, the sin that is in ourselves, the idea that, that the world is, is, is rebelling against God, instead of feeling sorrowful and mourning for this, okay, um, sin is celebrated, okay? In Romans chapter 1, 32, it says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. St. Paul here is speaking to the Romans and he's saying what? You know, right? The righteous judgment of God. You know what is right. You know what it is that God has commanded us to do, right? But not only while you know what is right, do you practice evil, right? That, that, but, but, but you approve of those who practice evil, right? We as the church should be holy, right? Holiness does not mean perfection, right? We can be holy without being perfect. We are striving to be perfect, right? But we know that this is a standard that we cannot reach, right? But our desire, our standard, our goal is to be holy just as Christ is holy, okay? And so here, you know, when, when St. Paul is criticizing the Romans, he's saying, you who the church who should be holy, who should be striving and struggling for holiness, right, have laid aside the moral standard of God. And instead of seeking that standard and trying to do what is right and to be holy and to be righteous, instead, you are practicing wickedness and you're approving of those who practice it, right? So we need to be very careful um, from allowing the moral system in the world to enter into the church, to enter into our minds, to practice and to believe according to the principles of the world, right? Because this is exactly what Christ is saying. He's saying, we mourn to you and you did not weep, right? We as Christians should look around at the world around us and we should be sorrowful for what is happening in the world. This should actually be a motivation for us to evangelize. This should be a motivation for us to correct, to rebuke, to show love and kindness, to, to offer 
to the people a message of salvation, a message of God's mercy that the God can accept all people and that he wants us to, to come near to him and he wants to forgive us of our sins, right? This is one of the principal messages of the Christian faith, right? Is that God can save all people, but he wants us to repent of our sins. But in order for us to repent, we have to look at ourselves. We have to look at the world around us and feel sorrow. Like this is not right. The way we are living, the way we are acting, the way we are speaking, right? All of the world, it's like the world is on fire now. It's like everything in the world is is, is turned upside down, right? And, and it's important for us to, to kind of remain focused and to kind of sober up and think to our, think about what's going on around us. What is right and what is wrong? It's not defined by any political groups. It's not defined by anyone in the world. It's defined by God only. And if I find myself outside of the will of God, outside of the commandments of God, that I need to what? I need to repent. I need to change. Um, the second uh, way that we need to respond correctly to situations around us is through morals, okay? So the world has substituted its own moral system for God's, right? The, the world has said that a different standard of morality, right? So in Ephesians chapter 5, St. Paul said, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, right? So we ask ourselves, you know, when the world tramples on God's command, when the world blasphemes God, when the world attacks God, when the world attacks the church, what is our response? Do we, do we sit silently and accept this while the world tramples on all these things, right? The issue here is not what is good and evil. It's, it's more about why is something good or evil? Why is something good or evil? God determines what is good and evil, right? God determines what is good and evil. So any Christian is, is subject to God, right? Is, is submissive to God, meaning that we accept God's moral standard for what is good and evil in the world. Right. And that means that what is good and evil does not change over time. Right. It's not something that in one era is one thing and then in a different era, it's something else. What is good and evil is timeless because God is timeless. Right. So in the world, right, in the system of the world, human beings are the ones that determine what is good and evil. Right. And society decides, you know, based on popular opinion. Right. What is what is good and what is evil and then begins to impose that standard on everyone. And of course, um, different people have different opinions. And this is now actually one of the reasons why we have a lot of conflict in the world. Some people will say that one thing is good. Some people will say that same thing is evil, right? So there's no standard, you know, a long time ago when, when there was um, a lot more, you know, where Christianity had a lot more influence here in the United States, or even those who are not Christians, but were influenced by the moral standard of Christianity, there was a lot more consensus of what was right and wrong, right? Because, because it all kind of stemmed from a, a source that was outside of each of us, which is God's, God's moral system, right? Now, when God has been essentially ejected from society, right, there is no rock, there is no rock to kind of pin our moral system to and say, hey, this is this is kind of the standard that we all use together, right? Now we are in kind of like this slippery slope where everybody decides for themselves what is good or evil, right? And nowadays it's seen as being even good and acceptable to 
um, essentially disobey the law, right? Um, for the sake of trying to impose my moral system on others. So it's like, I personally, I have a certain moral belief about something. Um, and even if that moral belief is against the law, but it is almost seen now as acceptable by a lot of people for me to disobey the law, right? For the sake of practicing my moral belief, right? And, and it's impossible to carry out this system to its logical end because it's going to result in chaos and anarchy, right? So, so, and all of this started why? Because as a society, we have rejected God's moral code and we have replaced it instead with a corrupted human code that is biased, that is blind, that is individual, that is not rooted in any kind of, you know, uh, moral system apart my own opinion, essentially, okay? So um, we should not be fooled and be caught up in the world system. As believers, our moral system comes from God and only him, only him, okay? So it's important for us to, um, to remember this, right? So that when we get into debates and arguments and, and politics and like all the things that are happening like in the world, we can remember what we believe and not just what we believe, but why we believe it. We believe it because this is God's system. It is not my opinion. It's not what I personally think, right? And I myself, I'm subject to the same system because I also have corruption, right? Like God's law accuses me as well. Like I'm not standing above everyone else and looking down at them and saying, you know what? My moral code is superior to yours. Um, and because of that, I'm telling all of you what to do. That's not. I myself am a subject to the moral code of God. And when I'm coming to tell people about God's code, God's moral standard, I myself like often am, am violating that standard. But I go back to the first point, I am also seeking repentance. I'm, 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 I'm seeking to change. I'm seeking God to forgive me. I'm not rebelling against God by doing this. Instead, I have a personal weakness that I am struggling with, okay? Um, another way that we should respond correctly is with reverence, okay? Um, when God's name is blasphemed, Okay, we should defend him. We should treat him with reverence. The name of God should be hallowed. When we say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, like reverence. We should be showing reverence to God. Okay, we should not allow what is holy and good to be defamed. Right, in Romans 14, 16, St. Paul says, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Right, what is good to us. And, and oftentimes what is good to us is despised by the world or irrelevant to the world or insignificant to the world, right? We should not allow others to speak of what is good as evil, as though it is evil, as though that is nothing, as though it is rubbish, okay? Taking God's name is in vain, right? Delegitimizes God and turns him from being the Pantocrator, right? Who is the creator of all, to just a human concept, a human tool, a human idea, right? And so I can speak good about him when I choose. I can speak bad about him when I choose because essentially he is subject to me instead of me being subject to him, okay? So from a God who should be revered and worshiped, right? Now he is a concept that can be mocked according to my human desires. Essentially, my life, my desires, my thoughts, my situation is more important than him, okay? He is a man-made concept, right? 
religion is a man-made concept these days, right? And does not need to be treated with respect. And this is very sad, right? This is very sad that we see this in the world and we should not allow this to creep into our thoughts, to creep into our language, to creep into our ideas, right? Always with God, like in the liturgy, when we're praying in the, um, in the, in the consecration prayers, and then we say what? Worship God with fear and trembling. Worship God with fear and trembling. Like, look at the reverence, you know? Like, we should stand before God in fear and trembling. Like, like he is greater, far greater than us, right? We are subject to him. We are his creation. So when we approach him, we should approach with reverence, not like in the world system, in the world system where God is blasphemed, where God is attacked, where God is ignored. No, we are called to not only acknowledge God, but to acknowledge him with reverence and with dignity. Number four, love. Okay. When we are hated, we should not respond in hate, but to respond in love. Christ spoke about love. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, right? We live in a very hateful time, very, very hateful time where there is hate everywhere. There is hate and people use hate even to defend love. Like, like in making an argument about how we should love people, people use hateful language, hateful actions in order to promote love. It, 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 is, it is so backwards, right? And it is so biased and it is so corrupted, Okay. We, again, need to mourn the current state of the world that is filled with hate, right, of all different types. And we ourselves should not be part of this hate. We should not be part of this problem. Christ here says, even those who hate you, even those who are your enemies, we should what? Love them, right? We should not respond in their language. We should not respond in their way. Otherwise, we become part of the problem, right? Um, we should not return wrong for wrong. It is possible to disagree with someone without being disrespectful. It is possible to disagree someone without mocking them, without trying to be judgmental on them, without trying to point out their sins and to, to, to attack them. It is possible to disagree with an idea, right, without showing hatred toward a person, right? And God is love, right? How can we promote him? How can we evangelize him? How can we spread his word unless we are having the same characteristics that he has, right? There's no way for, for me to share the word of God with people in, with hatred, right? Because I'm contradicting the message. I'm contradicting the person, the God that I am trying to promote, right? In order for us to have any type of witness, we must be loving. We must show love to one another. We must show love to those who are outside the church. We show love, right? It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that we agree, right? It doesn't mean that we tolerate sin, doesn't mean that we accept what is it that other people doing. Christ certainly did not accept many, many things that was happening in his day, but he always showed love. Sometimes that love can sound harsh. Sometimes that love is, you know, overturning the tables of the money changers, right? That Christ did in order to restore the reverence of the temple, right? But the motivation is not personal hatred. The, the motivation is the glory of God, right? When we defend the name of God, we should always love one another and be kind to one another. Mercy is something else that we find sorely lacking in our society, right? The world is filled with judgment, right? Judgment and hatred, right? 
often those who are judging others ignore their own sins. I mean, it's always hilarious to me, you know, when I see like some politician on TV and they're talking, they're criticizing at somebody else for something that they did wrong when they themselves did the exact same thing like a month ago, you know, how can we, um, you know, we, we, we've become so accustomed to pointing out the sins of others. We've become so accustomed to attacking others, to, to wanting to show ourselves to be better than others, right? When we ourselves forget our own sins, right? But, but Christ, who is perfect in every way, Christ, the one who created the law, Christ, the one who is, has the most right to judge because he is the judge, we look at the way that he dealt with people. Like I always look at this, the example of the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman, she was caught in adultery, right? She was caught in adultery. There is no question whether she did it. She did it, okay? And everybody knows that she did it. And this is the command of God. Like, like I, if I create a law, right? And I find someone is breaking the law. Now it's like that person has broken my law, like they have done something wrong, for sure, for sure, she did something wrong, okay? And so all of the people stood around her with stones, ready to stone her, okay? And it's interesting, Christ did not tell them not to stone her, because actually, according to the law, she should be stoned. Like, according to the law that, that God made, a woman who was caught in adultery should be stoned, right? So those people who were picking up the stones, right? In, in, in some sense, they were fulfilling the law, okay? But what is it that Christ was bringing? He, he told them what? He who is without sin, you're the, throw the stone first. He who is without sin, let you be the first one to throw the stone. So what he did is he turned the attention of all of the people to be focused on the sins of another, to be focused on my own sin, Right? If each one of us was so keenly aware of our own sin, then mercy would be easy, right? How can I, you know, in good conscience, start attacking another person for something when I myself am steeped in sin, when I myself am full of sin, where my thoughts are sin, where my eyes, you know, enjoy sin, when, I, when, when everything about me is a sinner? How can I go and attack another person for sin that I myself commit? right? How? And that's what Christ did when he brought mercy, when he, when he, he showed them that what mercy looks like. Mercy is, do you feel like you are justified? Do you feel like you are the one that can throw the stone, right? Whichever of you is without sin, throw the stone, right? And this is something that as the church, we need to remind the world, right? Remind the world of the law of mercy, okay? In Ezra chapter 9, verse 13, it says, And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities, deserve and have given us such a deliverance as this. Such a deliverance. You have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. We are not entitled to any good thing. It is because of God's mercy that he has given us all of these things. And in the Thanksgiving prayer, we, we, when we pray to God, we say, you have covered us. You have covered us. Not only does God not punish us according to our sins deserve, but God does not expose us. He doesn't expose us. When we heard of stories of people being exposed, um, like famous people being exposed for doing things, you know, that they shouldn't be doing, 
if I ask myself, if people knew everything that I do, if people knew every thought that I have, what, what would I look like in the eyes of people? Would people still look at me in the same way? Would people even want to be with me? Or would people think, you know, I'm nothing like what they thought that I was, right? God covers us. He protects us. He, he allows, he protects our reputation, right? Because God is not about exposing people's sin. God wants us to repent to him. God wants us to ask for his forgiveness and he forgives us. Not because, you know, we have, you know, done some kind of like restitution, not because we have done something to deserve such forgiveness, right? Mercy, okay? We are not deserving of mercy. Mercy is, is, is something that we receive from God while we do not deserve it, right? Just as Christ dealt with this adulterous woman. So we need to bring this idea of mercy, right, into the world. This is the way we need to respond in the world um, that is filled with such hateful uh, hatred and judgment. Purity, okay? The world is filled with corruption, right? The world is filled with corruption. How does God want us to respond to this corruption that is in the world, right? How easy is it for us, because such daily things that maybe we are used to doing that, that are corrupt, like even trying to watch TV, trying to watch TV show, right? Very hard to find something that is not corrupt in some way right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, St. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, meaning our own bodies, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is our calling, that God has called us to live in purity, not in darkness, not in corruption, right? This is what God wants of us. And so we, we, again, like, what is it that we need to do in order to fulfill this command? How is it that we can live a sanctified life? And, and we have to seriously ask ourselves this question. It's like, what do I need to cut out of my life? What things do I need to remove from my life to successfully be able to be sanctified? You know, maybe it's some things about our lifestyle that we are clinging to that are keeping us from growing more in God, that are keeping us from enjoying God's presence more, that's keeping us from being able to fulfill our witness, that we are called to witness, because maybe I am living like the world. I'm living like the world. I am I am indistinguishable from the world. They, like many years ago, there was like a, a, a survey that was done to kind of look at like the statistics among Christians in general um, compared to the rest of the world. And the, the, the result of the survey was that there was really no distinguishable difference between the Christians and everybody in general, like in terms of, let's say, divorce rate, in terms of, you know, people who are living out of wedlock, um, in terms of like the, the cursing, in terms of like lifestyle, like essentially when they tried to zoom in on Christians and look at their life, their life looked no different than all of society right? And that's frightening. And that's not the way that God intends. How is it that we could really be filled with the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in the way that we need to be in order to bring the message of salvation to the world, in order to, to, to live in, in, in persecution, in order to love our enemies, in, in order to do all the things 
that Christ asks us to do, it can only be done through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not within our human power to do those things. It's only when we're filled with the grace of the Holy Spirit, when we are not quenching the Spirit. But if we are living like all the rest of the world, and we are not seeking to be sanctified, we are not separating ourselves from sin, right? We are not seeking purity. Then there is no way for me to, to live a higher standard, a higher life, right? That Christ has called us to live. Remember, we are not asked to be like everyone else, but good people. We are asked to be higher and better, right? Than, than, than those who are unbelievers, right? Because that's the only way that people are going to see that there is something different. There's something unique about us, right? is to be sanctified. The last point I want to mention has to do with the principle of submission. Submission. Submission in the world is um, derided. Uh, submission in the world is something that's seen as being weakness. Okay? The world exalts rebellion. The world exalts disobedience. The, the world exalts the idea of I'm a free thinker, um, I can do what I think is right. I have unlimited freedom. Um, I'm going to reject any kind of authority over me, and I'm going to essentially be my own authority. We see this very much in our, in our society today, right? We see the idea that someone is kind of meek, that someone is submissive, uh, as being as though this person has no um, backbone, has no mind of their own, um, is being oppressed, Right? This is not the Christian, the Christian way, right? Meekness is not the same as weakness. Christ was meek. He was meek. He submitted to the cross. He submitted to be attacked and mocked and spat on by those who were less than him, right? This is, he, he, he submitted to this and he did it out of a greater love. He, great, he did it out of a greater love for us, for our salvation, Okay. Meekness is actually a great strength. Meekness is self-control. Meekness is wisdom. How is it that I should deal with others, especially others who um, maybe are not kind to me, right? Um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good, right? The, 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 this idea of submission is not just submission to God, but it is submission to those whom God has placed in authority. And this is a very important point because it's easy for ever, anyone to say, well, I submit only to God. Well, I submit to God. Well, what does submitting to God look like, right? It's easy for me to, to convince myself that I'm submitting to God when essentially I say that everything that, I'm submitting to, I agree with, because my God, he would decide this or he would want this. And so I'm submitting to him. Okay. God places certain people in authority, right? And it's one thing to say, well, okay, I'm going to submit to the church. Maybe I'm going to submit to the clergy or, okay, we know we should submit to parents. Okay. But here he's saying, submit yourself to every ordinance of man, submit yourself to every ordinance of man, why? For the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, right? As to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So God is saying what? 
every authority in the world, okay, even those who are not Christian authorities, right, as long as they are not asking us to do something that is against the command of God, we are to submit to them, right? We are submit to them. We are to submit to the IRS. We are to submit to the police. We are to submit to politicians that maybe we don't even agree with or we don't like them at all, right? This is the Christian meekness. This is the way we are called to live. This is the way Christ lived. Look what Christ, he submitted to Pontius Pilate. He submitted to Herod. He submitted to all of these people. He could have destroyed them, and yet he did not. He submitted to them, right? He was in chains. He was a prisoner, and he sat there and accepted this as he stood before these powerful men. And without, you know, and they didn't even realize how much more powerful he was than they were, right? So, so this principle of submission is important in marriage. It's important in relationships. It's important in the church. It's important in the civic life. It's important in every way. Right. And this is a concept that is completely hated in the world, that somehow we are able to have a life where where there is no submission, where everyone wants to be the authority, where everyone wants to have the final say, where everyone wants to essentially place their system as being the right system and everyone has to follow it. Right. This is not possible. Right. It, it is not possible. God has put some people in authority and those people who have not been given that authority must follow. Right. And, and this brings unity. Right. Even when, you know, when we speak about the church as being the body of Christ, but Christ is the head and we are his body, like we are in submission to him. We live in submission. The example of Christ being the bridegroom and we being the bride. And then he says, what wives submit to your husbands? This is submission, right? Submission in love, not submission in oppression, not submission in, in, in you know, like it's, 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 a, it's a positive thing. It's, it's a way to bring unity, right? It's not designed to be an oppression. Okay, so we spoke about seven things, seven points of how we need to respond correctly, even as the world is, is kind of teaching a different way, a different approach, right? The world is teaching that sin is, doesn't exist, that we can do and live how we choose. God is saying, no, we need to live a life of repentance. The, the world is saying that right and wrong is determined by human beings. God is saying, no, God is the one who determines right and wrong. God is the one who determines the moral system. The world is saying we can be irreverent, we can blaspheme, we can, we can attack the idea of God. But then God is saying, no, we have to treat him in reverence. Do not let what is good to be spoken of as evil, right? The world is saying that um, we, can, we can be hateful, right? Even when we promote love, we do it in a hateful way. God says, love your enemies. Love those who hate you, Right? The world is full of judgment and attacking others and exposing others. God is about mercy, having kindness and forgiving those who are, who are sinners. The world is about sensuality, about doing what pleases the senses. God is about sanctification and purity. And then finally, the world is about everyone is their own authority. No one can tell me what to do. But Christianity is about submission to the authorities that God has placed, right? So in conclusion, I just want to read this verse in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought that comes to us, every notion, every idea, everything that comes to us, we need to examine it under this lens. We need to examine it under what is it that I believe, right, to be true. 
every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. All these things that we said are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. When we see those things, what should be our response, right? Our response should be mourning. Our response should be sorrow. Our response should be like, I reject this. This is not right. This is not the way that we need to live as Christians, as believers, as the church, right? But just as um, Christ was uh, speaking about in this verse in Luke chapter 7, where he says what? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, right? We mourned to you and you did not weep. The world does not have the right reaction to these things. The things that should bring sorrow actually bring the world rejoicing. And the things that um, that that uh, should be rejoicing or, and, 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 and bring us joy are the things that bring sorrow in the world. Everything is reversed. So we should always... Um, filter everything that we see, everything that we hear in this um, lens of the word of God and Christian principles. And glory be to God forever. Amen.